Welcome back to another episode of the Corner Guys Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Trambox. As always with me, Timothy Rivera. Thomas, it's good to see you. Uh, I hear that Adrian Broner retired today, man. I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm not even going to highlight him on any part of my show. Uh, so, <laughs> so let's talk about last weekend of the upsets. A lot of upsets on the card, more than what people realize on that Fox card. On the untelevised portion of the undercard, you saw Carlos Negron, who was a decent favorite, go down in flames. He was knocked out badly in the first round. Julian Sosa, who was, I'll use quotation marks, a prospect from New York. He went down in the fifth round. He was stopped. And then as far as the main card, you had two upsets as well. Curtis Stevens went down and Marcus Brown, one of our favorite fighters of the show. So uh, let's talk about, um, I guess we'll dig into the Stevens fight real quick. To me, I think this may be the end of the road for Curtis. He's had a good career. He had. It's amazing that someone went backwards in weight as much as that they did from 175 to 154. Usually fighters go reverse. They gained weight in their careers and go up in class. He went down in class. It looked like his legs weren't there. Chin didn't look great. I don't know if that was him you know, eking out to make 154, where maybe if he does come back, 160 is the option, but he definitely didn't look good. It didn't look like his legs were there. It didn't look like he could take a punch anymore. And Wally Omotasu pulls off a nice little upset for himself. Well, I don't, I'm not a boxing historian, so I don't know what the success rate of a fighter who is uh, coming down in weight, especially towards the uh, tail end of his career. I, I wouldn't think myself that it would be a successful rate. But with that said, I'll just say, you know, if that is Curtis Stevens' last fight, he had a good career. He was always a he was a small middleweight. You know, he he put out together a lot of exciting knockouts, a lot of exciting fights. He he got his ass kicked, but like you said, the weight might have been a problem. I mean, his legs and his he never had the greatest of chins. He never had the greatest of chins, but the legs just seemed like they were done. Like they were absolutely done at this point. So it was a it was an entertaining on paper before the fight. It was an entertaining fight. Um, I didn't think you know even the winner. I didn't think the winner was gonna really go anywhere. I mean, this African kid doesn't. He's not gonna go anywhere. He'd probably be a gatekeeper for someone. But you know, all in all, it was a it was a really short ass whooping. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens from there. We'll see if Stevens. I don't know if he officially retired yet, but he should. Yeah, I haven't heard anything on the retirement. The only thing I can maybe think is he goes back to 160. But, you know, at this point in his career, being 34, 35, I think Stevens is, I, I don't see what else he has left. He's he's proven that he has knockout power at multiple weights, but he's also proven, unfortunately, that he can be outboxed. And he doesn't really take out the big-name fighters. You know, if you look at who are the best names he's fought, he's usually lost to in Lemieux or um, even Endam, Gavalkin, uh, even somehow lost to Jesse Brinkley, which is just amazing to me. Andre Durrell. So pretty much when he stepped up to a higher level of fighters and then even Adam Brinkley and a couple others, he, you know, he hasn't really fared too well. So I, I think, you know, we've seen the ceiling 
And unfortunately, this point, which may be weight-related, but we're not 100% sure we've seen his floor as well. So I just don't know what else he can offer in health safety-wise. You know, he's, he's had a nice career, and I just hope he you know, kind of packs it in at this point. But the big talk of the card is the main two fights. Your boy, our boy, everyone's boy, Marcus Brown, goes down in a pretty sizable upset. Pascal, by decision, was about plus 2,500. So just shows you the type of upset that Pascal pulled out. Fight was stopped on a bad cut near the end of the eighth round, and Pascal winds up winning unanimous, unanimous decision on all three cards. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it. To me, uh, Pascal really landed three three punches for the most part, and those three punches were enough to win him the fight. Pascal looked, I think I asked you this earlier in the week, is there any person who you remember winning a fight that looked so terrible in doing it? I'll, I'll give him five, a handful of impactful punches throughout the fight. I believe he landed a total of 49, I believe, maybe a little bit more. Uh, Marcus Brown was winning every second of the fight when he wasn't getting knocked down. You know, there's going to be champions, or not champions, but there's going to be uh, prospects or or contenders that are going to be salivating to take on Pascal for the belt. The only thing that's good about it is that Marcus Brown lost. <laughs> that's the only thing. That's the only positive thing I see from it. You know, that Marcus Brown, who we covered last week, is uh, uh, not a very good person outside the ring, allegedly. Uh, you know, he's not a very good person outside the ring. He beats women, and he it seems to all be brushed under the carpet when he has a fight. You know, but that's the only thing that a good thing that happened. I mean, Marcus Brown has an Amir conscience. Those he got punched by, he got knocked down by every single impactful punch or or solid punch that Pascal landed. Pascal looked horrible. It was an absolutely terrible fight. Not it, not good for boxing. Um, it, it was kind of the fight because I believe that you and me both expected a terrible fight. I mean, I think we went over it earlier uh, in our last broadcast that this wasn't going to be a fight that was fan-friendly. It was probably going to be sloppy. Uh, we didn't really know, and I think this is why we both went for Marcus Brown to win the fight. We didn't really know exactly how bad his chin was. I mean, his chin is fucking terrible. So it's, it's, it's good for Pascal, good for boxing that Brown lost. Brown was looking for a way out of fight with the cut. I don't, I don't give a shit what anyone says, you know. Yeah, I never boxed before, this and that, but fuck Marcus Brown. Uh, I got no sympathy for him. I, uh, I'm glad that he lost. Uh, I'm glad that Pascal, who has been a warrior over the years, can make an, uh, another good paycheck, and uh, that's, that's pretty much that. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people that I noticed were like, we got to see that rematch. Unfortunately, I think we will see it because Marcus Brown supposedly has a rematch clause in the contract he's going to exercise. But I don't know who'd want to see the rematch. The simple fact, the fight was terrible. I mean, there was nothing exciting about that fight besides the Pascal knockdowns. I didn't, know that was, I didn't know there was a rematch clause. It's very interesting. I, I believe from what I heard, there is a rematch clause that Brown's going to implement. So unfortunately, we're going to see the fight again. And it just does nothing for me. It did nothing for me the first time. And even now, it still does nothing for me. The fight itself was really bad. I mean, Pascal pulling the upset was really an amazing thing for, you know, being 
the odds and, and his age and how he's looked in the past few fights that he's had. I, I just I, I don't care to see the rematch I, unless yeah, Marcus Brown loses again. And then his career is probably shot at that point. But that's the thing that when we were analyzing the fight, like, to be honest with you, Pascal looked no different than he did in his last few fights, except the fact he was against a man who had a really bad chin. I mean, Pascal looked awful. He looked fucking awful in this fight. He has some power left. He has pretty much no balance left. Uh, those punches are not very quick. He just, uh, he looked awful. And if there's a rematch, you know, fuck the rematch. Honestly, uh, I personally have no interest in seeing that rematch. And uh, I'm on board with you, man. I mean, the first fight was terrible. How good could the second fight be? Um, it's It's the fight that does not, the first fight didn't need to happen. The second fight certainly doesn't need to happen. So, no, nah, I'm not on board with the rematch. I don't think Marcus Brown should get a a, a, a chance to redeem himself and to win that belt back. But, you know, that's just because I fucking hate him. But, you know, I'm being biased, but fuck it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, to me, Pascal looked worse this fight than past because, as you mentioned, with his balance and his legs, it didn't seem to be there. I mean, he threw a few big punches and he was stumbling around the ring just from the momentum. Like his legs just don't look there. Uh, if Marcus Brown, I think we talked about earlier, if he would have just been a little bit more aggressive, I think he might have actually gotten Pascal out of there at some point because he didn't look like he was taking the punches well, especially when Brown hit him with some body shots. It looked like that really bothered Pascal. His bounce looked bad. He just looked like he was stuck in the mud and still managed to br- drop Brown three times. As far as the cut, it did seem a bad cut, but near the end of the eighth round, I would have at least seen if Brown could make it back to the corner and they could close the cut. I think, I mean, if you think of the fight before, Brown won the belt. He beat Badu Jack, who, granted, his cut was in the middle of his forehead, but that was, it looked like he got hit in the head with a machete. I mean, there was blood going everywhere on his face, and he went rounds like that. So for Brown not to be able to last another minute, go his corner, see if they can close it up, to me, like you had stated, just seems like they thought maybe, hey, we're the home fighter here. We'll probably get the credit for this round and we'll wind up winning the decision by one point, which is what I thought was going to happen with him fighting in, in New York. But luckily they gave it to Pascal, who I thought won that eighth round because Brown was just moving around. And it's nice to see the upset and it's not going to be nice to see the rematch. The main event was something worthwhile for the fans. Adam Kavanowski or Kavanowski, however you pronounce it, he wound up beating Chris Ariola, most punches thrown in CompuVox history, which is about 35 years of overall punches in heavyweight fight. Uh, good action. Uh, we thought Ariola would kind of fade away around the 6th, 7th, 8th round time frame. Uh, Kavanaki doesn't have the power. I thought he did. That was one of my big questions going in. I don't really see him going too far in the division, but... He'll make for exciting fights being a pressure fighter throws a lot of punches. As for Ariola, if this was his last fight in the division, it's a nice swan song. Went out in the shield and showed what he always showed for his whole career. He has the heart of a warrior and a lot of grit and determination, although lacks skills to be an elite top-notch fighter. It was a great fight. I think that we learned a lot about Konoski as far as his power goes. You know, he couldn't finish Charles Martin and he couldn't finish Ariola. So perhaps his power isn't what his record indicates. 
What I will say is that you like you said, he will make exciting fights with certain fighters. I think he absolutely gets washed out by Tyson Fury. Uh, I don't think he'll have an easy time either with Andy Ruiz uh, or, or any of the current champions, even a- Anthony Joshua. I don't think he'll have an easy time with it. He just gets hit entirely too easily. He's kind of like what Chris Ariola was when he was younger. You know, um, when Chris Ariola took on those boxers, uh, even someone like uh, Adamic, who I think just fairly outboxed him, you know, or, or it's the burn or Vitaly or someone like that. Uh, Ariola just looked lost and didn't know what to do. And I think that's going to be Adam Ponoski against any of these current champions. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting uh, dilemma. You know, I mean, he would certainly cash out against any of these champions. But, like, if you were matching him for his next fight, would you put him up against one of those champions or keep building him against uh, another contender like he is? I personally would build him a little bit more just to see. I, at this point, I think he is what he is, honestly. But I think they should at least get a few more paydays in their back pocket because I think when he loses, you know, to like you said, I think any good boxer in a boxing sense can outbox him. I think anybody with power is really just going to rock his chin. He seems to have a good chin, but at the same time, he hasn't faced a big-time puncher like Wilder or Joshua, or he hasn't faced a big-time boxer movement like Fury, things like that. So I, I would at least get him a few more paydays. You know, I'm thinking off the top of my head, like even a Brazil fight, you know, that's something he's going to win. You know, something like that where he get him a few more wins, a few more paydays, because I think when he loses, it just seems like the gig's going to be up. Like you can see his career crashing and burning after that. An exciting fight, I think, for him which I think he would probably lose, but it would be very exciting to see style-wise to be Joe Joyce if you just were matching him up as far as, like, excitement because they both seem to have good chins and they throw a lot of punches. So it'll be an action fight in that sense. That would be a good fight, but I don't even know if he pulls that out. So it's really hard to say. I wouldn't put him against a champion yet just because, like I said, if he faces Wilder, who I think that's what they're trying to build to, which wouldn't be bad for the fact he'll have one or two more fights before that. Maybe you can get somebody in to improve his defense or at least head movement, move your head somewhere. But I think once he gets sparked out of there, you're just going to see his career fall off a cliff. Just my opinion, but, you know, we have to see what happens. I think that he will get sparked out by any champions, but I don't necessarily agree, especially in this climate of boxing that one loss to one of these champions and he's done. I, I think he'll still have a long career. Um, like I said, I think he's like, he, to me, he's like Ariola, man. Like, he's like a young Ariola. And Ariola got absolutely destroyed by Vitaly Klitschko when they fought. And he seemed to, he had a long, pretty entertaining career, entertaining career after that. So I think Adam Konoski has the fact that he is entertaining uh, also, the fact that he seems to have a good chin, even though we'll see, he just can't—he can't box, and I don't think the head movement will improve. He's gonna be there to get hit. I mean, that's why if you put him against someone like Wilder, that that will probably result in a really, really devastating knockout. But I like the Joe Joyce fight just because Joyce—you know—you see in the Brian Jennings fight that he has a lot of vulnerability and. He definitely can lose, but I just feel, I feel like, you know, there's not much you could do with Adam except 
you can build him two more fights. You know, you could put him against fighters that he can beat. He'll have a he'll have a career where he'll just be an exciting fighter to watch, man. You know, like like how Ariola was. And there's nothing wrong with a career like that. I think Ariola when he was younger is better than this version of Kronaki. And I'm not saying one loss ends your career. I'm saying when he fights somebody with power, because he really hasn't fought a powerful puncher yet. Old Ariola is the most powerful guy's fought, and old Ariola hasn't been able to really stop anybody worthwhile in a while. When he faces a big puncher, he's going to get viciously knocked out, viciously, and that's what's going to change his career. Not the one loss. How does he come back from getting decapitated? Because that's what's going to happen. This dude is going to get absolutely decapitated, and that's what's going to change his career. That's what's going to change his mental mindset and everything that goes along with a vicious knockout. Ariola has never been viciously knocked out. Now, the only hope on this is that maybe Kavaki has a really great chin. But again, who's he really faced that you're like, wow, that's a powerful puncher. You got to say old Areola or Martin. Those are your two options. And that's not saying a lot. And like you said, he could have a career like Areola. I think at this point, Areola was a better fighter years ago, in my opinion. I just feel when he gets hit. And in a major fight against, you know, a, a top guy, probably even Ruiz, even he's going to get knocked out. Ruiz at least to go some rounds because he doesn't have the one punch power of uh, Wilder or Joshua. But if he was to face either of those two guys, he's going to get decapitated early. I'm talking probably less than three rounds unless he has a really, really, really solid granite chin. Yeah, I mean, he's right there to be hit straight right hands. Deontay Wilder will have no trouble finding him. So unless his chin is like Oliver McCall times six, he's going to get just annihilated by one of them early, I think. And I think mentally that's what's going to change his career, coming back from that type of loss, which is going to be really, really hard to do. Okay. I mean, I guess my question would be, uh, I agree with you that he'll get decapitated by, you know, definitely Wilder. But in terms of uh, comparison here, just just for – to play like double back here in terms of comparison, do you feel like a uh, knockout like that, uh, 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 like a less than five round knockout, let's say he gets knocked down the fourth round, right, is more discouraging than the beating that Vitaly gave to Chris Ariola? I think mentally it does more. I think Ariola, in his head, going into the Vitaly fight, knew he needed a knockout, and also Vitaly has a chin of iron. So that was going to be hard to get. But he figured that was his only chance. If you asked Ariel going in that fight, are you going to outbox Vitaly? He's going to tell you no. In the sense of Kanaki just getting his head taken off and being dominated in a few rounds, I think that does more damage. Because Ariel, again, he's a blood and guts fighter. There's no you know B style or C style. He knows what he is, and the fans know what he is. He's going to go in there, try his hardest, and usually get outboxed which happened with, you know, you stated earlier, Klitschko, Adamick, um, the first Devern fight. With with Kanaki, right now, it's to me, it's it's really hard to come back from a really bad knockout. I mean, Pacquiao did it against Marquez, but even that sense, besides mysteriously the Thurman fight, besides that fight, you didn't see Pacquiao the same. It's, it's hard to come back into the same type of fighter after a vicious knockout. Williams got knocked out by Charlo when he came back, and that was a pretty bad knockout. That's true. There are cases of it, but it's also the mental makeup of the fighter. That's what I'm saying. We don't really know what his mental makeup is. 
you know, Williams managed to come back, but at the same time, everyone, you know, Konaki handles his weight and stuff like that. He was turned pro at 235. His lowest fighting weight is 229 and a half. He's 266 right now. So that leads me to think, how serious is he taking the sport? If, if at least Ruiz, if you look at the old picture of Ruiz and Valdez when in the amateurs, Ruiz was a really fat kid and nothing against him. His walk around weight is, I don't know what it would be, but it's higher than what his training weight is. He probably loses, you know, 60, 70 pounds or something in camp. How much weight is Konaki really losing in camp when he had a low career weight of 229 and a half? It just seems to me that. I mean, you're not taking the sport that seriously. If if you just in your biggest fight, and you weighed 266 pounds, he weighed 266, but he was also able to throw over a thousand punches in that fight. And that leads me to my other question: You fought Charles Martin at 263 in the fourth, and you struggled for a lot of rounds. I would say what with around six, seven, eight. The second half of the fight, you struggled to really let your hands go. And you lost a lot of rounds. But mysteriously, one year later, a couple of pounds heavier, you have a great motor against Areola. Not saying anything, but makes you wonder. I, I mean, <laughs> everything in boxing makes you wonder nowadays. I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about in general. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why, what the difference was. Maybe maybe Charles Warren hit harder, you know, and he was um, – Took more out of him. Yeah, took him out. You know, took more out of him. That could be it. You know, we. I don't know how Charles Martin hits in comparison to Ariola. You know, but you know that could be. It could be a lot of factors, man. That that uh, added to that. Um, but like I said, I mean, he's two. He was two sixty six just by the 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 uh just the the eye test. Now you don't know the eye test anymore. But just with the eye test, it looks like he's not taking any substances except for fucking bacon and, and uh, fucking donuts and shit like that. So, I mean, he was 266 and able to throw a thousand punches. So I don't know. I don't know uh, what his the best weight for him is. But I do know that he could be in the best shape of his life and he's still not going to be any of the current champions. So that I do know. I do agree with that, but also, if you think about it, uh, James Tony failed his drug testing with Ruiz, and James Tony looked like a round ball for the most part. So I, I think everyone thinks just because you're on a certain time, and that, I'm not accusing me, though. I'm just saying it just seemed a little odd. He stalled against Martin 10 rounds in this fight. You know, he just can throw continuous punches. Uh, things like EPO, for example, you know, to me, you could probably take EPO and still be out of shape. I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying it just seems weird that he stalled against Charles Martin. In this fight, he fought two more rounds, and he had no problem keeping up a, a high work rate. But like you said, maybe Martin's punches took more out of him. Maybe he was less prepared for the Martin fight, did less road work. If he does do work, road work, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say, but you know, as you also pointed out, a lot of things make everyone wonder today in boxing with you know the, the technology when... Um, Balco first came out and they had their undetectable HGH. Is there something new like that out where you can even get tested and it's not going to show up somehow? And again, not to say anything against him. It just, to me, seemed a little bit odd between the Martin fight and this fight, the punch output and being heavier in this fight. But I mean, congrats to him. He had a 
exciting fight. He put himself in a good position where he should be able to get a good payday. It seems like the aim for the Wilder, though if Joshua Ruiz, he could kind of play a factor into that fight. So we'll see. Uh, you know, the heavyweight division, I, I'd move him to at least get another one or two. I think he is what he is. He's not going to change. So in case he does fall off a cliff after a tragic knockout loss, well, not I won't say tragic, but a, a really vicious knockout loss, at least he can get a few more paydays and he can make that fight a little bit bigger, get his name out there a little bit more, and that'll make that title shot whenever it comes, you know, a richer fight for both parties. Absolutely, I agree. And again, folks, not to say he's doing anything. I'm just looking at the fight differences and, and the weight added on and you could throw more punches. Just seems a little bit weird to me. But overall, the fight card was a really good fight card. It had a pretty good viewership on Fox. And I think that's just what boxing needs to get more fans into the sport. Something out of Channel 5 or, well, depending where you are, Fox, CBS, you know, a, a station like that where everyone can see, you know, you had an exciting knockout with Omotasu and an upset. You had... I won't say an exciting fight with Pascal, but it showed that boxing's the theater of unexpected. He was a plus 2,500 underdog to one by decision, one by decision. And then he had a really fun heavyweight fight between Kvanaki and Ariola. So I, I think cards like this is what boxing needs on free TV to really lure more fans in. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. Um, You know, none of these uh, fights on paper, except maybe the exception. I mean, Curtis Stevens, by the way, by the way, let me backtrack here for a second. Let me backtrack here. But I just want to thank the Lord that Andre Berto was not on that card. I just I just want to thank whatever powers it is to be that Andre Berto tore his bicep and was not able to be on that card versus Miguel Cruz, even though I feel like Miguel Cruz would have upset Andre Berto because I think Andre Berto's absolutely done. But uh, I just want to, you know, shout out to Torn Biceps because I'm, I'm really, I was really happy that Berto was not on that card because that, that card would have sucked more. It was a pretty good card, but yeah, just shout out to the Lord <laughs> on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked out because they, they put the Stevens Amato um, um, so fight in there, and that was a little bit one-sided more than we would have thought, but you saw some knockdowns and a pretty exciting knockout. So I don't think we would have gotten that in the Berto fight. We would have gotten a, an ugly fight to watch, possible upset, but you know the fight they did show was, I think, a lot more fan-friendly than the Berto fight would have been. 100% agree with that. 100%. Hopefully, if Berto is, is listening to this, you know, you don't have to comment on our Facebook or anything like that, or but you just... If you're listening, we got nothing against you except the fact that you should probably hang them up. Yeah, Berto's had a nice run, but I don't know where he goes from here. Unless he, he needs the money, then I guess I can understand. But aside that, it's like, you know, what are you, what are you doing it for? Exactly. But on some unrelated boxing news to last weekend, one of my favorite prospects, Jerron Ennis, is back in action on August 23rd on the Showtime undercard. Unfortunately, it's going to be untelevised, but they should at least probably show highlights of it. But it's nice to see him back in the ring. I thought he was one of the best, I'd say probably five prospects in the sport. 
And for anyone that's unfamiliar with him, get familiar with him. You're going to see him in some big fights pretty soon, assuming all his promotional issues are past him. And he's a really, really good fighter and a really good prospect to watch out for. Great hand speed, a great backstory. You know, his family is a fighting family, um, which I believe all their brothers have been on um, on Showbox, if I'm not mistaken. So a great fighting family, you know, comes out of a fighting town as well. Uh, a really underrated body puncher, someone that anyone in the welterweight division will have a problem with. I'm excited to see him back in the ring. It, definitely a, a real, real good prospect to to uh, look at and a good prospect to, you know, support because um, he's going to definitely be something, uh, you know, 2020, hopefully. Hopefully he stays more busy because he's going to be dangerous no matter who he fights in that division. So it's good to see him back in the ring. Definitely. And on some how did this happen boxing news, apparently Laura and the Alvarez fight is now going to be for the WBA regular belt. Now, this fight is coming up, I believe, on the 31st, which, I mean, I understand Laura, maybe if you want to give him another crack at WBA belt. All right. I think it's the interim belt. But how does Canelo's brother, Ramon Alvarez, who has, like, how does he even available to fight for any belts? I mean, this guy lost to Brandon Rios last year. I mean, listen, these belts don't mean shit, man. I think the fans, I think the fans think the same thing. These belts don't mean a fucking thing, man. The WBC, you know, when they gave what they gave Canelo a franchise belt or some shit like that. And then we're going to have a Mir Khan fight that uh, whoever that Indian kid is and um, uh, for the Pearl belt. I mean, these 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 belts, they're just they're, they're ridiculous at this point. That should not be a title fight. That should not be televised. That should have not been made. It's a shitty fight. Uh, shitty. It, it just would be amazing if that the winner of that fight is going to be a champion. It's it's just no one follows that shit. I follow Boxrec. You know what I mean? Whoever is number one on Boxrec. Boxrec says Andy Ruiz is number one. I could dig that. I think he's, you know, accomplishment-wise, he's number one. Great. I think Tyson Fury is number two or whatnot. I follow Boxrec. Whoever's number one on Boxrec, I give all the credit to. All these other belts, fuck that shit. That's just my opinion. I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the belts either, but at the same time, you know, the belts are really nowadays meant to bring casual fans or charge the sanction fees. But even for that, I mean, just to have remote Alvarez in a title fight is just mind boggling to me. As far as boxer goes, I, I do like their rankings for the fact it's non-biased, but at the same time, it's still computer generated. For example, their pound for pound list, I believe they have Lomachenko at five, Burchill is seven. I can't agree. If Callum Smith is eighth, you know, so, you know, it's, it's without its Jose Carlos Ramirez is the number one, 140, which if you want to argue, cause he unified, but I think we all know that, Progress and, and probably Taylor better. Munguia is not the number one at 154. You know, so it, and to me, Ruiz isn't the number one heavyweight either. <clears throat> so to me, there's, you know, it's a good ranking as far as not being biased. You know, it's, it's not taking money in from sanctioning bodies or promoters or managers to get fighters 
ranked in a certain way. So it's really good in that aspect. But like all things, it needs work as as well as everything else in the sport does. But still, nonetheless, there's no reason Ramon Alvarez should be fighting for any type of belt. I mean, he lost to fucking Omar Chavez two years ago in the second round. Omar I, Chavez. Listen, I agree 100% with you. The only point I have with BoxRec is that, as you said, it's unbiased. There's no, as far as we know, there's no money going into ranking someone higher uh, than the next fighter. So on that basis, like, if you go through all the rankings with WBC, WBA, how many of these people ranked in the top 15, you know, suck or, or shouldn't be um, going for a belt? I think, um, I forget what organization it was, but I believe when Yusek went to heavyweight, he was already a mandatory. Yeah, he never fought in heavyweight, but he's a mandatory. How the fuck does that work? I don't have that big a problem with that for the simple fact that he was a unified cruiserweight champion. And just to me, if if you were unified and you go up in weight, I, I can't have a problem with one of the sanctioned bodies saying, you know what, you're you're the number one contender. I, I can kind of concur with that, especially if you're unified. I mean, you were the number one guy in cruiser by far. So mm-hmm. if a sanctioned body wants to say, hey, you're the number one cruiser, we're going to make you a mando. There's a lot worse mandatories out there that I've seen. So I... I can't really knock that one too, too much. But I do see your point, though, where at least he should have heavyweight fights to prove himself. And actually, if I'm correct, he's fighting in Chicago. They still think against uh, Tackham sometime in October. I don't remember the exact date, but I think it was October 19th. He'll be fighting Carlos Tackham in Chicago. I mean, he I I understand that he was a unified uh, cruiserweight champion. But you need I, – I just feel like you need to have a, at least one fight against someone who's worth something at heavyweight in order to be a mandatory. Because there's a lot of people who have put in work in that division who aren't mandatories. So that, that was just my whole point, that you need, you need to have at least a fight in that division to be a mandatory for a belt. I get that he was unified at, at cruiserweight, but he hasn't done shit at heavyweight. I mean, I can't really argue that, but at the same time – who would you say has put in all this work at, at heavyweight that you'd want to see maybe fight the Joshua Ruiz winner besides Usyk, in all honesty? I Let's mean, all of, them, all of them got popped for steroids, so I got no answer. <laughs> you, you know, when you really look at it, I mean, would you put Pavekin above him or Dylan White after his whole steroid debacle? Jarrell Miller after his whole steroid? Lewis Ortiz to get another shot at Wilder. I mean, the only one I can maybe say is, is, is Pulev. Just because I don't remember him having a steroid issue recently, and he's been doing it a while, but uh, after that, it's like, like I said, all them, all all the ones that I can name, Miller, uh, definitely Dylan White. They they all got popped for steroids, so no, they don't they don't have a case because um, they shouldn't be fighting at all. You know, if yeah. you get popped for steroids, you shouldn't be fighting at all. So you know, fuck them. So I guess in that case, you know, I definitely give Usyk. If it wasn't for the steroids, if it was just based on if Miller did everything that he had to do without roids, and if Dylan White did everything he had to do without roids, then I would say that they have a better claim to be a mandatory than USEC does at heavyweight. But since the fact that they're dirty fighters and pieces of shit, I'll put USEC above them just in that case. So, uh, I mean, I see your point. Yeah, if if it's based on what has uh some of these heavyweights done to that has been at a higher stock than USEC, 
I can see what you're saying. I just, I have a problem with just the fact that he had no heavyweight fights and that, you know, he's already a, a, a mandatory. I think that's ridiculous. But like I said, I think belts are ridiculous in the first place. You know, they should just be one. There should just be one belt and leave it at that. It should just be like the old school days, man. Yeah, I pretty much concur. Maybe even two, a major belt and like in wrestling terms, a heavyweight championship and then like intercontinental belt. You know, something where the middle tier guys that aren't up to the heavyweight belt can kind of, you know, fight for, establish themselves and then they're into like the bigger belt mix. It'd be good in an ideal world when unfortunately, you know, boxing's about making money and having lots of belts to try bringing casual fans or get sanctioned fees. But last week, Canelo Alvarez shafted us right in the ass by as soon as we put up our show, he stopped having Derechenko in talks with for an opponent. So we'll touch on this quickly and because it'll change by next show. But uh, Alvarez supposedly is waiting to announce an opponent after the Kovalev yard yard a fight, which happens on the 24th of this month, which leads me to believe he's waiting to hopefully have Kovalev win that fight. And then he will announce him as the next opponent, which would probably happen November, December-ish is my thinking. And now Derechenko is going to be fighting for the vacant IBF middleweight title. And the fight is supposedly going to happen with G3, but they're waiting on everything to be finalized. If G3 doesn't get that fight, God only knows who they're going to throw in for the IBF title shot uh, against Derechenko. You may see... Brandon Adams in there or Hugo Santana Jr. or Willie Monroe or God knows who. But let's just hope G3 takes that fight and just doesn't try to wait around for one Canelo payday because it's actually a good fight on paper. I'll say this. If everything works out how you just said where Kovalev takes on Canelo and G3 takes on uh, Derechenko, then I I dig both fights. I think both fights are actually uh, good. I think Derek Chingle versus Triple G at this point, a little older Triple G, not the younger one, but the older Triple G is actually a really good fight. Uh, that's a fight that I would watch. I think that's, that's stylistically a very nice fight. Uh, Kovalev, of course. Uh, first, he has to get past Yardy, who is undefeated and a very strong kid. So we can't look past Yardy, even though I think Kovalev will win. Kovalev versus Canelo is also a good fight. I assume that Canelo is going to have have Kovalev take a, a, off a lot of weight. But stylistically, that's actually a, another really good fight. And I prefer that fight over Canelo versus Derechenko and definitely Canelo versus um, uh, the jabber, um, Andres. And, Andre. so, I, I think with the Canelo-Derechenko not happening, like you said, we, we can have two better fights. The Kovalev... Canelo would be interesting for the fact that you wonder what weight it's going to happen at. They'll probably try to drag Kovalev down to 171 or something. But if he can actually make that and still retain some of his power and ability and everything, even though he's in his advanced age, at least it's an interesting fight on paper. With Kovalev, you know that he has the power that if he hits him clean, you know, who knows what may happen. And with the G3 Jarachenko, that's interesting. Like you said, it's an older G3. G3 is not a mover like Canelo would be. And he's a little bit slower and a little bit older. So he's going to get hit. And it should be with Derechenko being more of a work rate fighter, it should produce more exchanges in the pocket. And you should get more action than you probably get from the Canelo Derechenko fight. So it's actually a better fight realistically 
and we're going to get two good fights instead of one all right fight. And looking at the IBF rankings, in case G3 does pass, which would be a shame, uh, that Polish fighter I touched on last week, uh, Camille Saramento for possible G3 opponents, I would assume he'd be the next in line. And then after that, there's another fighter. Well, there's Jacobs, but he's going up to, I think, 168 anyway. And then there's another fighter that I'm unfamiliar with. So you're really going to have just a no-thrills IBF fight. So let's really keep our fingers crossed that G3 takes the fight. Well, I, I hope he does. The only other fight that I would want to see G3, and I think he touched on this last week, would be Toriano Johnson. I think that would be an interesting fight. Um, I don't even know who the fuck this Polish kid is. So I don't want to see that shit. You know, Derek Chingle versus Triple G is a great fight, man. That That is a very fan-friendly fight to watch. Uh, and as far as Kovalev and Canelo, I mean, Kovalev had the ability a couple of years ago when he beat Andre Ward. I mean, I had him winning the first fight. I don't know how you scored it, but I had him winning. So he has the ability to box. Uh, like, he's a little older now, but that should be a fun fight, man. That should be a really fun fight. So... If these two fights happen, I'll be very, very happy. I'll be very satisfied with either one. I'm with you. I'm with you. Coming up next weekend, and for the next weekend and really all of August besides uh, a couple of good fight cards, you don't have really too much on the agenda here. Um, we touched on it last week. We have Julio Cesar Chavez in his 59th comeback where he's dedicated to the sport. Uh, that's not on most people's TVs. Thank God. Who cares? August 10th, uh, Saturday, you're supposed to have Carl Frampton fighting a not really great opponent, but you know, the name of Carl Frampton on the ESPN plus card, he got injured in a freak accident where something fell on his hand, broke his hand. So now you have Jason Sosa against Haskell Lytle Rhodes as the main event, which isn't really most exciting, but if you get the chance in the ESPN plus card, you have three good prospects to keep an eye on that it could be on that card. And I think they're showing the undercard fights as well. So you make it most of the card. You have Sonny Kanto, heavyweight. We've talked about him in the past. Robisi Ramirez, a featherweight from top rank, Cuban kid, really good fighter. May not be an exciting fighter, so may fall into the Rigondeaux trap, but a really great amateur fighter. And at middleweight, knockout artist Edgar Berlanga. Berlanga, I don't know if I pronounced that right. He's from New York. A lot of power, 13-0, excuse me, 11-0, 11 knockouts. He's going to be facing the 11-4-2 guy, Gregory Trinell. I'm not really familiar with him, but as far as Belenga, he has a lot of knockout power, at least for who he's facing, so he'll make for an exciting fight. And on Dazen, you have who I think is the best prospect in boxing. I know you think it's Stevenson, but I think it's Virgil Ortiz, and this will be a really good fight. He's going against Antonio Orozco. It may get one-sided, but I think it's a really good fight as far as where does Ortiz stand. Uh, Orozco fought Ramirez. He won a round from him, got knocked down, got cut, but you know gave a good effort. And aside that, he was undefeated with a few decent wins. So it's going to be a good test to see where Ortiz is this Saturday on Dazen. I agree with you. Was, I think it's going to be one-sided. I think it could be one of these fights like uh, where – Ortiz wins every second of every round, and Orozco is just too, you know, too uh, tough to quit, and the corner stops it. So, I mean, Ortiz is just deadly accurate, man. Like, 
he is he is a very impressive fighter. As I as I know you touch and I know you're very high on him as he should be and as every boxing fan should be that knows of him. Uh he is just deadly, deadly accurate, um great offensive fighter. And he's gonna be against an opponent who really does not move his head a lot, which is a very, very deadly combination. If his power is the truth, which I think it is. We could either see a really brutal knockout or we could see an ass whooping that will probably have a Roscoe's corner stopping it. Uh, but I don't I don't know what the I would love to know what the, the odds are for the fight Vegas wise. I would love to know that. But what I will say is that um, I do not believe that this fight will go the distance. I, I am pretty. And we had a, really, a very bad week last week with our predictions and our and our odds uh, when it came to Vegas, but I I just do not see this fight going the distance at all. Well, the only thing I bet on last week was the over on the Pascal Brown, which really pisses me off because that over was there if it wasn't for the headbutt. And then even with the headbutt, I think Brown could have at least went back to see if the cut could have been fixed. So my thinking was there. Um, as far as the odds... This is something interesting. I don't remember the exact odds when Ramirez fought Orozco, but I think Orozco is something around plus 300, give or take, when he fought Ramirez. Give or take. It was in that area. Right now, Virgil Ortiz is around negative 900 to 1,000, with Orozco being plus 560 in that frame to even plus 638 on one side. <clears throat> so it makes me think, are they really just – low on Roscoe from the Ramirez fight or are they really high on Ortiz? Cause if you look at it, he's almost double the underdog now than he was against Ramirez. And we just saw what Ramirez did to hooker. So my only logical thinking is that this, the odds makers or my thinking is with me is they're really, really high on Ortiz because Roscoe's double the underdog as far as, you know, value that you're getting from he's plus 550 to 638 right now in the sites i'm looking at so it's a hard one to bet on uh, i don't have the over and under odds that's usually released on friday and saturdays ortiz like you said is a really really strong puncher but you also touched on it he has really really good placement of his punches and i think that's what does it uh, if you remember the the juan carlos salgado fight that body shot he hit him with i think it was the third round was just vicious and once i saw that i mean I, when i saw him going through the motion to throw it i i just knew i was like i said to myself this is going to be nasty if this lands and sure enough and salgado folded up like a bad pair of pants at target and it was it was over but i don't think it goes the distance i don't have an over and under to gauge on that um, eventually we do want to start maybe the quick Saturday shows where we just have a 15 minute give or take episode when we have a lot of betting lines to look at things that look interesting. I don't think this is the week when you look at, uh, Jason Sosa's plus, uh, excuse me, he's negative 500. Haskell Rhodes is plus 365. I mean, I figure Sosa to win, but I mean, neither of them, are, you know, they're getting a, a main event material when they were just supposed to be an undercard. Uh, the Ortiz is hard to bet straight out. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't think how Orozco wins, but the average person isn't going to lay down $900 to win $100. So you got to kind of go for prop odds when those come out. Maybe Ortiz by knockout. That Orozco went the distance with Ramirez 
maybe that does him favors where they're going to put this over and under at maybe seven and a half where it can't get to the middle of the eighth. Because if you look at Ortiz, you know, Herrera, I thought, granted, was a lot older, but still a marvelous stoppage of a guy that's really never been dominated like that. Roberto Ortiz, you expect that. But the Salgado was a nice stoppage. And all these other guys are a lot of early stoppages. But, you know, they're not top-notch guys. So it's an interesting fight in that sense to see where Ortiz is and golden boy cannot afford him to lose. Cause if, if he loses and this whole thing going on with Canelo complaining about him and now the other kid, the I other, I, yeah, the, I, I don't think, I don't know why he's even playing, but he's complaining. If they want to lose in them who are, at least Canelo's their best boxer and has star power and Garcia at least has star power. And then they had a few cards back where the, uh, De La Hoya, uh, Diego De La Hoya lost and the Rocky kid lost. And yeah, if, if they lose Ortiz, they might as well just fold up the fucking company at this point because they have really just hit a, a brick wall. Well, I'll say this, you know, with the Mauricio Herrera fight versus Ortiz, what impressed me so much is that knockout punch was not set up by anything. It was not set up by a jab. It was just so perfectly accurate. That is a, that's a scary kind of fighter, and I don't think Ortiz. If you're gonna beat if you're gonna beat Ortiz, you need to you need to be defensively sound, or he's going to destroy you. And Orozco is not defensively sound. I mean, he's a tough he's a tough kid, but I, I just think Ortiz is too accurate. Uh, I agree with you on the whole Golden Boy front. Uh, I don't really know much about what's going on with that Canelo situation. I do know that Ryan Garcia um, was the f- supposed to fight that Filipino kid that's also signed with Golden Boy. And that didn't occur, so he's fighting um, the kid out of Philly now. I think uh, Sparrow or something like that is his name. So okay. it's one a- Avery Sparrow, I think his name is. But it's just one of these situations where you have a very a handful of prospects in Golden Boy who are mostly all Mexican fighters. You need to keep. You need to keep either happy or you need to keep winning. Or else, like you said, that company is going to fold because they'll go elsewhere. There's a million fucking options nowadays for fighters to go and explore. So it, it, it's an interesting dynamic. Um I think Ortiz uh, is a, a really, really great prospect, as you touched on. I think it's going to be a very one-sided fight. I, I, I will be very intrigued to see what the prop odds are once it comes out. Uh, what are the biggest exact things? I think 7.5 is actually a pretty good odd. But I am curious to think what Vegas sees as far as if uh, Orozco will get stopped or not. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and what you know, round are they thinking as far as, you know, because my, my thinking is, I mean, he could, if Ortiz is the real, real deal, I mean, it wouldn't be shocking if he landed one punch and, you know, that was it. But I think the corner stoppage is more likely where, you know, Orozco's corner is like, you know, this is it. I've seen enough. So it gives me like a six through eight feel. That's why I thought the seven and a half of the over and under, it seems like a six through eight where, it's going to get one-sided. He's not winning rounds. And for the future of Orozco, you're going to just say, you know what, Let, let's pull the plug on here. It's also the vacant welterweight WBA gold belt, whatever the fuck that is. 
But I, I think his corner pulls the plug. I can't see him going through 12 rounds. I mean, the only hope in Prairie has if Ortiz has a Marcus Brown attack and he doesn't have a great chin, he lands something big, that would be really the only hope. But I think he's going to endure so much punishment early that he's going to have a lot taken out of him and and the punches just aren't going to be the same at even probably three, four rounds in. It's not going to be the same type of punches that Roscoe's throwing back out. So if he wins it, I think he has to do it in the first three rounds and is going to have to walk through a hellfire of accurate, powerful shots to do it. Do you feel like, because uh, I'm not a betting man, this is going to be a very interesting question, so bear with me here, Thomas. Do you feel in these type of fights that the referee of a fight plays a huge factor in it due to the fact that the referee sometimes is more apt to stop a fight than the corner is? I think it definitely does. For instance, Steve Smoger was a ref that would always be known to let fighters fight. You know, you you could be almost on a deathbed and Steve Smoke would still let it go. While other refs, you know, sometimes pull the plug a little bit sooner. One reason I'm thinking the ref also could pull the plug is the ref knows pretty much the, the rounds in his head just by watching. I mean, he may have a keeping score, but he's going to know, like, at some point, wow, this fighter's getting their ass whipped. And, and with the two recent unfortunate deaths in the sport, I can't see them letting it go. 12 rounds with Ortiz is just putting hands on Orozco constantly with powerful shots. And that's even if Orozco can stand up to it or his corner doesn't pull the plug. So, like you said, the refs, as far as pulling the plug, is always something to look at. And with the recent you know, tragedies in the sport and us knowing or kind of figuring that this is going to be pretty one-sided, I think Ortiz stops him. And I, I don't know exactly who the ref is, but I can't see them allowing it to go multiple rounds of, of just a horrendous beating. So prop-wise, uh, it'd be tough. I'd have to see the odds and, and look at it. But maybe the 7 through 12, but even that's a little scary because, I mean, if Ortiz does have this power and accuracy, like I said, maybe he lands a big shot and Roscoe goes, gets in trouble and the ref waves it off in the second or third round. I think – our Ortiz by stoppage is the best possible bet, but what is it going to be? If he's plus, uh, excuse me, negative 900, maybe it drops down to negative six, you know, something like that, like a six to one, because you got to figure Ortiz is going to be favored by knockout. But back to your question, though, I, I do think the refs do play a factor, and especially now more so with the deaths in the sport, they're going to be a little bit less lenient when things are getting more one-sided. So I think you're going to see a lot more ref stoppages, at least for the short time being, with everything that's happened. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. I, I just wanted to, uh, you know, because I think that's um, always something that people who bet should look at, you know, because um, there are a lot of referees who stop fights quicker than some referees. Like you said, Steve Smoker. Even if someone who's not a better, and I'm not a better, Steve Smoker, we all know, lets fights go on forever. And uh, that is his M.O. So, um, I don't know, boxing betting is a very interesting dynamic. So, it's just, that is the real sweet science of the sweet science. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I to me, I look at everything. I'll, I'll look at, if I can find out who the judges are, look at how the judges have judged 
in the past as far as if they've judged that fight or that style. For example, some judges favor technical boxing more. So if you see judges that favor technical boxing more, or like let's say you see judges that have given Canelo favorable favorable scorecards, for example, or whatever fighter, or maybe judges that have went for the house fighter in fights you know that the other guy really should have won, and they're in the a fight with the house fighter what's to say they're not going to go for the house fighter again you know look for locations and if a fighter's been traveling overseas before or if he's fought out of his home area uh, even corner wise like buddy mcgirt uh, he couldn't unfortunately save dadashev but buddy mcgirt won't let a fighter go through that much punishment and he'll pull the plug so that's another thing to keep in mind who's the trainer is the trainer somebody like buddy mcgirt who's looking out for his fighter more often than others or a lot of times you see father-son combos. Fathers, for oddly enough, usually let the fight go on more from my memory than, you know, a trainer would. You would figure to be the opposite where, you know, father sees the son getting hit and they're like, oh, let's stop this fight. To my memory, usually see fathers let it go on longer for whatever reason I'm not too sure of. So you got to look at all the dynamics, even ring size. If you're going against, you know, you want to bet on a puncher. What's the ring size? If you can find out the ring size, is the ring small? Is the ring big? Who's the promoted fighter is the biggest thing. Cause you know, a lot of these house guys, if it goes to the card, they're going to get the, the benefit of a close decision. Sometimes even, you know, one where they lose 16, 116, 112, and they wind up winning somehow split decision or worse to draw. So you got to factor in a lot, a lot of things. And one day when we have a, a decent amount of odds, we're definitely going to have a, a betting show and and something where we discussed just strictly odds and different ways to look at the odds and we can kind of get to the bottom of that and maybe that'll have some fans that aren't even mm-hmm. boxing fans mm-hmm. but maybe they just like betting in general would find that interesting too and may want to tune into absolutely i also think in addition uh at least for me and i, I don't bet much but when i'm doing predictions i like to see if a fighter has ever fought that fighter's style before for instance and the Orozco and Ortiz fight, if you look at it, has um, Orozco fought someone like Ortiz and his style before? And I like to look at that. I like to look how he's done against people of that style and and things of that nature. I think styles are also always very important um, when you're viewing a fight. I know a lot of people, they were talking about Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez and how Valdez moved up the weight to avoid Shakur Stevenson. I don't know how true that is, but what I do know that's true is Shakur Stevenson in the pros has never faced a style like Oscar Valdez. So when people said it was going to be an easy fight, I disagree just because of that premise that Shakur Stevenson has never fought a dog who really is willing to die in the ring uh, like Valdez. So I didn't think going into it that Valdez ducked him or anything like that. I didn't think it was going to be an easy fight for either man. So I also think looking at fighters' previous opponents and their styles is very important as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, have they faced the Southpaw? You know, how, how they are against Southpaws. If one fighter has a really decent height advantage, have they faced the height advantage of that, you know, like a five inch height advantage, like Paul Williams used to fight guys and tower over a lot of guys. So, you know, things like that. So everything plays a factor. There's really no one exact thing to point out. 
I mean, to me, if I would, I would just say the promoted fighter is is the biggest thing, in my opinion, for the simple fact, if it goes to the cards, it doesn't matter if you want to lose. It's really up to the judges as a promoted fighter. And we talked about that a few episodes back where, in my opinion, the silent agreement idea of, of judging. But that, to me, is the biggest obstacle, because if you're a good boxer, you can outbox somebody 117, 111, and the fight's still a draw if you're the guy on the B side, unfortunately. And that's what boxing's turned into these days. Yep. So if Canelo versus Kovalev is close, go with Canelo by decision because we all know that's going to happen. Yeah, I can't see Canelo losing unless the fight is in Russia. If, if Russia makes a big bid and they're actually putting on the fight, that's the only hope I could see. But if it's in the States, you know Canelo's going to win. It, it's, you know, no matter how you feel about him, uh, the Laura fight, the Trout fight, the 2G3 fights. Even the Danny Jacobs fight, I felt was very close. Yeah, I thought that was way close than what they made that out to be as well. Just for the fact that Canelo did next to nothing in the second half, really. Um, and Jacobs, if he had more work rate in the first half, I think would have clearly won, in my opinion. But he just kind of started a little bit too late. But, uh, yeah, definitely. It, it, it unfortunately comes down to the promotion a lot of times. And it's a sad way to have the sport where the right man doesn't necessarily win. I mean, how many times have you seen the Super Bowl where, I don't know, the Ravens beat somebody 32-14 and the other team wins? I mean, you don't see it in any other sport where somebody can actually win and lose. I know it's all also subjective, but there comes a certain point where subjectivity goes out the window. And unless you're a complete idiot, you know who won the fight. Exactly. Uh, speaking of Danny Jacobs, um, how do you feel about his uh, potential matchup with Chavez Jr.? I'm not going to get into Chavez Jr. He doesn't deserve time on our show either. Jacobs, but if they ever did fight, Jacobs would outbox Chavez Jr., who's just Chavez Jr. Um, Chavez Jr. is already talking about he wants a title shot for what? <laughs> who who have you fought or beaten in the last few years? It, it's just the mentality of him is is just comical. But uh, Jacobs, I believe, is supposed to be going to 168, but for the certain right offers, would be willing to fight at 160. So... But, uh, again, who's going to be at 160? G3 is close to retiring. I think at some point Canelo's got to go up in weight. And if he fights Kovalev, I think that may be it for uh, middleweight. I think he'll fight Kovalev and maybe stay at 168. So what would be the big fight for Jacobs You know, to go down to 164 at this point? Wow, so Charlo is really lost in all this mix. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it'll just be him and Andrade, and they'll probably never fight each other, so... You'll see just Charlo Brandon Adams part four coming up in like six years. And it's just, you know, if Jacobs leaves the division, <clears throat> Canelo leaves the division, G3 leaves or retires, it's really just not exciting division anymore. I mean, you got Charlo, Andrade, Derechenko, that's the top three guys. It's not terrible, but especially with Charlo's reluctancy to face anybody, then you have Andrade and Derechenko may face off. And that's I mean that's your 65. Terrible. As far as Chavez goes, you know, he had a packed workout, so people still want to see him fight for some reason, bro. It's just the name of Chavez. It's the Mexican fan base and and the Mexican media. And unless he had a lot of fans here, but I mean, how many really true boxing fans are like, you know, I can't wait to see Chavez fight again. None that I know of. So it's just people following the name. He can still sell tickets. That's why he stays relevant. Because, again, the name... So why retire when you could face 
Bravo, and that's going to be one or two or three rounds, or whenever he decides to end it, Bravo's pretty terrible. And he'll he'll eventually work his way up, finding a few stiffs, and get that big payday again and look completely lost in the ring like he has in all the steps-ups besides the uh, last round of Martinez where he caught him, almost stopped him. Beside that, it's like, who's he stepped up and fought? I guess Andy Lee off the top of my head is probably his best win. And Andy Lee's also a little bit fragile, too, as far as going against pressure fighters and things like that. So... Then he lost to he lost to Funfara, didn't he? Yeah, Funfara stopped him. Yeah, and seeing how Funfara's looked after that fight says even more about how, you know, where's Chavez at in his career. He's one of those fighters on the list that should be done. He's on the Sam Peters, Miracon, Andre Berto. Um, shit, man, we could probably do a whole show on fighters who should be done. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give Chavez a little bit of a pass because physically he's not done. Those guys, I think, are all physically done. It just mentally, if he really wanted to do something in the sport and trained as hard as got to his best weight, he wouldn't really be too bad. He's just lackluster and he just doesn't care because he knows he can live off the family name. So in a sense, he should be done. But in a sense, at least he's not physically done like those guys. You know, Peter and Birdo and those guys, they're just a bad knockout waiting to happen when they face, you know, somebody that's elite level fighter or even a B level fighter, you know, it's going to be really bad for him. Nah, that that's, that's a good point. Even though, I mean, the, the interesting aspect is if Jacobs and Chavez Jr. do fight, will Chavez Jr. actually make the weight is the thing that I'm very curious about. Can he actually make 168? Yeah, that's again, it's I mean, he should be able to. But with Chavez Jr., you never really know at all. He may try to catch weight at 171 or something like that. Just and Jacobs could see the money opportunity and figure he could still outbox him and probably would go for it. So who knows? It's either way. It's not a fight I'm really interested in watching if it happens, to be honest with you. I mean, there's a lot of fights that are coming up that are even as hardcore boxing fans. I. I don't think are very interesting at all and certainly won't bring the casual fans in either. I mean, there is no fight that's coming up um, off the top of my head that I think will bring any casual fans in. I think Porter Spence will draw a few. I mean, that's pay-per-view. Yeah, but pay-per-view, people to see pay-per-view. I think they're semi-familiar with Spence a little bit. Not a lot, but I mean, just the idea of unification Mm -hmm. at 147, you know, Spence is kind of getting his name out there a little bit more. I, I, I could see not a, a huge pay-per-view sales, but I think that can do around 400,000 buys, which isn't terrible for two guys that aren't, you know, major sellers as far as you would think for pay-per-views. I, I think it can do around 350, 400 in buys. It, it, it's interesting because I feel like a fight like that would do wonders if it wasn't pay-per-view, it would do wonders to actually bring casual fans in. Well, originally it wasn't supposed to be pay-per-view. I think it was supposed to be on Fox, which I thought was great. And then boxing again, finds a way to just shoot itself in the foot constantly. And now it's pay-per-view. It's weird. I mean, it, it really is bizarre because I kind of think a fight like that is going to be an ugly, an ugly style. You know what I mean? Like, I think, Spence will win. I mean, I don't want to go too far into it because I know you and me will probably have a preview show when the fight is approaching. But what I can say is that stylistically, it's a very ugly fight. 
And it's not a fight that I would necessarily pay for. Um, even though people don't pay for fights anymore, they stream them. But it's not a fight that I would pay for because it's just an ugly fight to me. Even though it's a unification, I understand that. But I'm at the point where I just want to see Terrence Crawford and Errol, uh, Spence in the ring or else I don't want to see anything else. Um, there's not enough money for both of them to be in the ring right now, honestly. They both have to raise their name to the regular outside public to get the money that both of them want to fight. So that's really the biggest holdup with that fight, in my opinion. But that note, uh, next week, we're going to hopefully have a guest. We're going to find out because there's not going to be a lot to cover as far as fights. As you know, the really only good thing this weekend is Ortiz. There's one ESPN card next weekend, and that's pretty much it. So fingers crossed we finally get that guest or else you're going to hear us talk about boxing and hopefully that'd be good enough for you guys. But uh, until then, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy Ortiz Jr. And we'll see you soon. All right.